Good morning. No doubt you've been blessed already, and I trust that you will continue to be receptive to what the Lord has to say uh, to us today from his word. Making right choices. How do we go about making choices in our lives? Life is filled with a multiplicity of opportunities for us to make choices. How do we go about them? And the choices that we make, how do we know that they are the right choices? A local uh, news uh, media house was interviewing an 84-year-old woman who had just gotten married for the fourth time. She was asked a lot of questions about her life and um, how she felt getting married at 84. And uh, how did she feel about her new husband and his new career? He was a funeral director. <laughs> the interviewer thought it would be quite interesting to find out from this woman uh, if she didn't mind telling him and the general public something about her first three husbands all of whom she outlived, and, uh, and most specifically, what they did for a living. After pausing for a few minutes to reflect on all those years and to gather her thoughts together, uh, she responded very proudly. And uh, she said that she first married a banker in her 20s, and uh, in her 40s, she married a circus ringmaster and then in her 60s she married a preacher and now in her 80s she's married to an undertaker <laughs> the interviewer looked at it in astonishment and he, he said you know well that's amazing and so he asked her uh, how she why she married men with such diverse careers easy son she smiled I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Now I doubt, I doubt that you cannot convince that woman that she made right choices. She made right choices and she firmly believed that. What about you? How do you make choices? A woman came home from church one evening after the evening service and met a man burglarizing a home. And uh, she immediately shouted at the man, Stop! Acts 2.32. Of course, Acts 2.32 means repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, but the burglar stopped dead in his tracks. Didn't move. She calmly called the police and explained to them what had happened. And uh, the police came, and they arrested the man. And uh, as, they, as the officer cuffed him, he said, well, why did you just stand there? And the woman, all she did was yell a scripture at you. And uh, the burglar response was, scripture? She said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> did she make the right choice? Right choices. How do we make them? Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8, God says through the prophet, 
Indeed, my plans are not like your plans. And my deeds are not like your deeds. Now, those of us who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who claim to be children of God, bought with a price. As the scripture says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spiritual gods. Do we go by that particular scripture when it comes to making choices in our lives? Do we understand that God's ways are not our ways? And when we are making decisions in our lives, we need to go to God and find out what he has to say about them. Something that we need to remember. If you forget everything else that is said here today, when it comes to choices, I want you to remember this. God will always give the very best to those who leave the choice with him. You believe that? Some of you already experienced that. God will always give the very best to those who leave the choice with him. But God has some goals that he has given us in our lives. Some goals that serve as foundational guidelines for us to go by. And it's based on those foundational guidelines that we are to make the choices in our lives. When many of us are like a little lion who, who uh, felt that he was like his dad. And uh, his dad was the king of the jungle, and so he ran through the jungle, he roared through the jungle, and he asked all the animals, who is the king of the, who is the, king of the jungle? And the first group of animals he went to was, was the monkeys, and the monkey says, you are. And they said, he said, right, don't you ever forget it. And all the animals he went through, and he asked that same question, and all of them gave the same answer, you are. And he said, right, and don't you ever forget it, until he came to a herd of elephants. And he walked up to the elephants, and he said, who is the king of the jungle? Big bull elephant stopped up closer to him, picked him up in his trunk, swung him around, swing him around, throw him into the river. He got out of the river, battered and what, and all wet, and he looked at the bull elephant, and guess what he said? Not because you don't know the answer means that you need to get nasty about it. <laughs> but you know, when it comes to making choices, we are very much like that little lion. We just roar through life, making decisions without God. Until life puts us in a tailspin. And even when life does that, we still don't realize that the choice that we had made, like that young lion, was the wrong choice. Choices. How do we make them? What are the foundational guidelines that God has given us for making choices? Well, first of all, God's desire for Christians is to love him. And that love is to be demonstrated by our willingness to trust him. To trust in his character. So that we may grow in our understanding of how to please him and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into his likeness. That's God's foundational goal for our lives. That's one of the goals that we have to make in making, in making decisions in our lives. But what is, what is God's character? Well, God's character is, first of all, that, is that he is perfect. God is perfect. He's the only person in the world that there is that's perfect. He is holy. The Bible reminds us that he is sovereign. He is loving. He's faithful. He can do no wrong. He can be trusted. He's totally trustworthy. He is just. And the Bible also reminds us that he doesn't change. He says, I am God and I never change. He never changes. And so the second foundational guideline that we have that God has given us is that God loves every person in the world and he has a twofold plan. For all of us. Plan one is that we are to reach unbelievers with the message of the gospel. And that's for all of us. 
That's not just those who are in the, in the business of, of evangelizing, but it's for every single believer. And the second goal is to bring believers to spiritual maturity and fruitfulness in Christ. And again, that's a job for all of us. The Bible reminds us that we are to edify one another. And then the third guideline that God gives us, the third goal that serves as a foundational guideline for our lives and making choices in our lives is God wants us to be willing to let him use us in his plan, resulting in us being blessed both now here on earth as well as eternally in heaven. Now, in order for these foundational guidelines to be able to take effect in our lives, there are some prerequisites that we must follow in order to understand uh, God's will for our lives, some basics, some fundamentals for understanding God's will that will enable us to make the right choices when we are confronted. First of all, we need to believe that God has a ver his very own tailor-made plan for each of our lives. For each of us, God has a specific plan for your life. And it's different from the plan of the person that's sitting next to you. It's unique. In Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. But get this, all the days are ordained for me were recorded in your scroll. All the days ordained for me. That means God has a plan. From the day that you were in, his, in, in, in the mother's womb, God has a plan for you. The writer of Proverbs says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You can make all the plans that you want. But what makes you think they're going to come to pass? God directs those plans. The writer of Proverbs also says, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How can man understand his way? God ordains our steps. He determines the steps that we make. And even we don't understand some of the things that we do when we're following the Lord. Jeremiah said, a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in man who walks to direct himself. And in Acts chapter 13, we read of David. David, after he had served the purpose of God, not David's purpose, after he had served God's purpose, the purpose of God. And that's the purpose that God has placed each and every single one of us here on earth. And that's why we need to consult him when we're making choices in our lives. Because we can't walk around like many people do and say, this is my own life. I am my own man. I am my own woman. I can do as I please. Not so. If you're a child of God. David served the purpose of God in his generation and then he died. That means our whole lives are planned. God has a purpose for our lives. But then the second prerequisite for understanding God's will is that God wants us to know his will for us. And contrary to what many people believe, God is not interested in hiding his will from us. He does not hide it. He will not give us as much evidence as we want. And sometimes we want, we want the whole shebang. We want to know it all. He may not give us as much, as much evidence as we want, but he gives us enough intelligence to follow him by faith. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What for? So that you may know, so that you may prove what the will of God is. So that you may prove what the will of God is. And that which is good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect. In other words, when you come to points in your life when you make decisions, God has given you a guideline. If it's not good, it's not God's will. If it's not perfect, it's not God's will. If it's not acceptable, it's not God's will. And it all has to be to God. What does the word conform mean? It means to be squeezed into a mold. And that's what they tried to do with Jesus when Jesus came into this world, when he walked among the scribes and the Pharisees. He was a Jew, and all of the other Jews had their patterns all set and their ways all set. And they wondered why Jesus wasn't being like them. Why don't you be a good little Jew, Jesus, and fit in like all the rest of us? They wanted to squeeze Jesus into their mold. And that's what the world wants to do with us. It wants to squeeze us into into its values and its patterns. The Bible says instead we are to be transformed. Metamorphosis is the word in the Greek. Transformed, renewed, changed from the inside out. God works from the inside out, not from the outside in. When we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and he talks about the three parts of man, he says spirit, soul, and body. When we talk about the three parts of man, we say body, soul, and spirit. God doesn't work that way. The world works from the outside in. Body, soul, and spirit. God works from the inside out. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of our minds. And that's how we are able to make right decisions that bring honor and glory to God and are are conformed to the will of God. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to the Ephesian believers, So then... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we're not seeking to understand what the will of the Lord is and allowing it to guide us in making our choices, the Bible says, God says, we're being foolish. And I'm sure there's no one here today who would like to be called a foolish person. And so get in line is what the scripture is telling us. In in reflecting on what the Colossians uh, believe on reflecting on the Colossian believers' faith, Paul writes, Since the day we heard of it, that is your faith and your, your desire to serve the Lord, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled with, get this, the knowledge of his will. How many of us today are desiring to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? He says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him, notice, in all respects, not just sometimes, not just hit and miss, but sometimes, in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are we increasing in the knowledge of God? If we're not, we're not able to make the right choices. That would bring honor and glory to him. But then the third prerequisite or fundamental for understanding God's will is is this. God is sovereign. And perfectly able to carry out his will. He doesn't need your help in carrying out his plan for your life or his will for your life. And he doesn't need my help. He is perfectly able to carry out his plan. 
his will for your life. Notice the writer of Ecclesiastes says, Ecclesiastes said, I know that everything God does will remain forever. It means that God is not fickle. God is not wishy-washy. He doesn't do something today and then changes his mind. He says, I know that everything that God does will remain forever. God doesn't make no mistakes. He doesn't do something that says, oh, you know what? That, that didn't work too well. I need to change it. He says, will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. And there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him or respect him or honor him or reverence him. And the writer of Proverbs says, many plans are in a man's heart. But the counsel of the Lord will stand. You can make all the plans that you want to make. There's no guarantee they're going to come to pass. And that's why we need to go to God. And seek counsel when making choices in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Isaiah says, I am God. And there's no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times. Things which have not been done. Saying my purpose. Not your plans or your purposes or my purposes. God says my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish not some. But all my good pleasure. Daniel, all the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing, Daniel says. Nothing. Someone say nothing, N-U-T-T-I-N. You're regarded as nothing. He does as he wishes. What a God. He does what he wishes with the army of heaven and with those who inhabit the earth. That means God could do whatever he feels like doing with your life. And you have no say in the matter. Notice what, 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 what Isaiah goes on to say. He does what he wishes. I will accomplish all my good work. Daniel says, no one, no one slaps his hand and says to him, what have you done? I was working on my computer at home one day and my two-year-old came home and she, she came nearby and she slapped the keyboard. Whap! Threw everything out of proportion I was doing. The keys that, I, that she hit refused to work. And I slapped the hand in the way and says, what have you done? And I had to reboot the computer and start all over again. But you know, that doesn't happen with God. No one slaps his hand, the writer says, and says to him, what have you done? Because he's perfect. He doesn't make any mistakes. And so you cannot say to God, oh, Lord, you messed up. Look what you've done. No one slaps his hand and says, what have you done? And when Paul was talking to the, to the, to the religious leaders on Mars Hill, Notice what he says in Acts 17. He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Prerequisites for understanding the will of God. He is perfect. He doesn't need our help in carrying out his plan and his will for our lives. But then there's another prerequisite. We must honestly want or desire to know his will and get this, and prayerfully seek it. Now, we don't have a problem at times wanting to know what God's will is. The problem that we have is prayerfully seeking it. We are noble about talking about how we want to know God's will. But when it comes down to brass tacks, we're not going to pray for it. Notice what Jeremiah says. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
You're going to seek and you're going to search. And you're not going to do it half-heartedly. You're not going to do it half-stepping. He says you're going to do it with all your heart. That's how you know you're determined to find out what the will of God is. Honestly desiring to know what God's will is and prayerfully seeking it. The writer of Proverbs says, My child, if you receive my words and store up my commands within you, by making your ear attentive, he says. In other words, you're listening. You're hearing a whole lot of other things, but you're listening to what I have to say. And make your ear attentive to wisdom. And by turning your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for discernment and raise your voice for understanding. Many times when we want something done, we raise our voices, right? Don't we? We want to get a point across. We want, to, we want people to understand where we're coming from and we raise our voices. But notice what he says in verse 4. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand how to, how to fear the Lord and you will discover knowledge, the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. But do we want that is the question. Notice what James says. James says, but if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God. Do we ask God when we're deficient in wisdom? Sometimes God is the last person we ask, isn't it? We go and we ask a friend because he had such an experience and this is what he did and it worked for him. So it's got to be good. Sure, it's going to work for me too. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom or is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Since he is double-minded, he is a double-minded individual. And not only is he double-minded, the Bible says, he is unstable in all his ways. Certainly we won't, don't want to be called a double-minded person, much less unstable. What happens to unstable people? There's a place for them, isn't there? Yes. The Bible says if we don't ask in faith, we are unstable. We are double-minded. But there's another prerequisite that we need in order to understand God's will. And that is that choices that have eternal rewards... That is, those inspired by the Holy Spirit always require a measure of faith, but also include an awareness of risk. So, when we are confronted with such situations in our lives, we ask, we don't ask if something is possible. Instead, we ask, is it God's will? Because if it's God's will, God will make it possible. Now, many times we look at situations and uh, we, we think that it's impossible. But we don't take it to God to find out if God, from God if it's possible. When, when Ryan was at Laterna University, his uh, last year, he was on the security staff. And um, they had a vehicle, they patrolled uh, the, the, the campus, and they had a series of vandalisms and intruders on site. And, uh, and one day he was on duty uh, in the vehicle and some individuals came on site and uh, he chased them. Is that picture up there? And that's what happened. 
he chased the vehicles in the, in the, in, on, on the campus, and uh, he turned over. I didn't see a, a ravine on campus, and the vehicle turned over. He was okay. But the point I want to make is that choices that we make require a measure of faith. But they also include an awareness of risk. Now, when he took the job, he knew that there was risk involved. The campus hired him, and they knew that there would be risk involved. And so when he totaled the vehicle, the vehicle was totaled, by the way. When he totaled the vehicle, they said, well, you're not held liable because you were aware, and we were aware of the risk involved. You were just simply doing your job. Now, many times, God has given us a job to do. And that, that job, as we mentioned already, is to reach individuals with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But many times, we, because of the awareness of the risk, are afraid to do that. Well, when we are making choices for God, we need to be mindful of the risk, but also mindful of the fact that if it's God's will, God is going to make possible for us to survive and accomplish what we set out to accomplish. Notice what the Bible has to say about this. 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not despair... But even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light suffering. And many people don't think it's momentary. And many people don't think it's light when it's happening. But God says it is. Our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison, he says. Because we are not looking at what can be seen. But what cannot be seen, for what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. How many times do we look for what can be seen? And when we do so, we're not operating by faith. We're operating by sight. And that's what Paul told the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, the righteous man shall live by what? Faith, not by what he sees. And even the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is what? impossible to please him. And so we'll be making choices in our lives and we are not making those choices by faith. We're not trusting God. We're not pleasing God. We're not honoring him. Notice what Peter says. This brings you great joy. Although you may suffer for a short time in various trials, such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ is revealed. Isn't that what we're here for? To bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ? That's what we're here for. But there's another characteristic. There's another prerequisite for understanding God's will. And that is, choices based on faith may result in sacrifice and or suffering. And that's what stops us. Dead in our tracks like that burglar. Obedience to, him, to his will comes with a price. Trials then should be viewed as friends, not enemies. Notice what Luke says. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the offering box. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than them all. Just for they all offered their gifts out of their wealth. 
But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. Everything. Because she was moving by faith and not by sight. She was trusting God and walking in obedience. Regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the suffering. Regardless of the ill effects that may come. The writer of Hebrews says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Ever thought about that about Jesus? He learned obedience. Even though he was the son of God. The Bible says he learned obedience. How did he learn? Through the things he suffered. So we learn obedience through our sufferings. That's why we ought to treat sufferings not as enemies, but as friends. Because it's through those sufferings that we learn how to be obedient to God and to walk in His ways. James says, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy. Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Do we do that? When trials come, we say, oh Lord, why me? Lord, why do you have to pick on me again? I could think of a million other people down the road who live in recklessly and wickedly. Why don't you just pick on them? Why me? James says, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know. And it's not like we don't know. You know, I talk to people all the time about how we're living for the Lord. And you know what the response always is? Oh, I know the word. I know what God says. Well, that's what James is saying. James says, you know. That the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know that. We know that. So why do we complain when it it comes? Produces endurance. And he says, let endurance have its perfect effect. So that you will be perfect and complete. Not deficient in anything. But then we also need to choose to humble ourselves. Before God with a submissive attitude. Allowing God to teach us but also to change our priorities as he sees fit. Many times we get in a problem and we don't want God to mess with our priorities. Our priorities are off limits to God. And if we want to understand what God's will is and be able to make right decisions that we're not going to suffer the consequences of afterwards, we need to be able to be submissive to God and allow God, give God the right, which he always has anyway, to change our priorities According as he sees fit. Notice what the writer writer of Psalm says. May he show the humble what is right. May he teach the humble his way. And God is very willing to do that. The only problem is our receptivity to him. I will instruct you, the psalmist says, and teach you about how you should live. Many of us don't need anybody to tell us about how to live. We feel that we've got it all down packed. This is my life. I know what I'm doing. I've got my plans. You don't need to tell me anything. God says, I will show you and teach you how you should live. And how you should live is based on the choices that you make in your life. I will advise you as as I look you in the eye. Do not be like a, get this now, do not be like a what? Do not be like a what? An unintelligent horse or mule. Now, don't leave here today and say, Brother Randy called you an unintelligent horse and mule. I didn't. That's the word of God. The word of God says, if you don't abide by what God says, that's what you are. Don't be like an unintelligent horse or mule, which will, obey, which will not obey unless they are controlled by a bridle and a bit. God doesn't want to control us with a bridle and a bit. He wants us, he wants us to willingly obey him. He wants us to be humble before him. So that he can accomplish his purpose in our lives. With our 
cooperation. After removing them, God raised up David, their king. He testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. But get this, who will accomplish everything I want him to do. Can God say that about you? When it comes to making choices in your life, is that something that God can say about you? He will accomplish everything I want him to do. But there's another thing we need to understand. And that there are some factors to consider in making right choices. And one of those factors is what we've been looking at all along. And that is the word of God. Does the Bible say something specific about the matter? Or does the Bible present principles related to it? How many times we have a decision to make in our lives and we are scratching our head and we are racking our brains and trying to figure out what do I need to do? What should I do? Instead of going to the word of God and finding out what God has to say about the matter, to find out God has some principles there that he's laid out for us. Your word is a lamp to walk by and a light to illumine my path. That ought to be something that we're always saying when we're confronted with making choices and decisions in our lives. But notice what Timothy says. Timothy says, every scripture is inspired by God and useful. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, always rejoice, constantly pray, and everything give thanks. Why? Because this is God's will. That you may become holy, he says. That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, don't behave like those persons who don't have a relationship with God. Who are alien toward God. But then notice what the writer of Hebrews says. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. That is the word of God. That's what we need to consult when we're making those difficult choices in our lives to avoid the consequences that come from making bad choices. But there's another factor that is involved in making right choices. And that is the peace of God. Do I have God's peace? And many times, one of the reasons why we don't go to God when we're making choices is because we don't have peace with God. Notice what Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And he goes on to say patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Self-control against this such there's no law. But notice what Colossians says. He says, let the peace of Christ be in control. Let the peace of Christ, in other words, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your hearts. What does an umpire do in a game? He calls the game, right? He, he makes sure that the game goes the way it's supposed to go. He calls the shots, he calls the strikes, he calls the balls. He makes sure the game goes the way it goes. And that's what peace ought to be. God's peace ought to be in our hearts. Act as an umpire in your heart. If you are, in fa- as you are in fact called, he says, as one body to this peace. And he says, be thankful. And there are going to be times when uh, God's peace is going to control in our lives, and you're not going to feel like you ought to be thankful for it. But he says, be thankful nevertheless. In writing to Philippian believers, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. 
Instead, in every situation, every situation. Now, we don't do that in every situation, do we? Oh, some situations, maybe. But he says, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the peace of God, not the peace of the world or the peace of man, but the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All understanding means our understanding as well. You may not understand the situation, but given to God in all situations. But there's a caution. There's a caution. And the caution is feelings and desires may be deceptive. And we know that, don't we? Many times we make decisions based on feelings. And we regret it, don't we? Our natural tendency is not to follow God's direction. We don't have to muster up any, anything to not follow God's direction. That comes naturally. You just continue doing what you're doing and you're not going to follow God's direction. It takes effort to go in God's direction. Our natural tendency is not to follow God's direction, but rather to be independent. We're independent creatures. We're not interdependent on God. We must be honest with ourselves. It is often helpful to ask God or ask ourselves and even God, would this be pleasing to you? How many times do we have to make decisions in our lives and we ask God that question? Lord, is this, is this going to be pleasing to you? Many times it's because it's so much what we want, we don't care about what's going to be pleasing to him. It's all about us. Proverbs says, all a man's ways seem right in his own opinion. That's why we don't ask. Everything we do is right as far as we are concerned. But notice what he says, but the Lord evaluates motives. God looks at the heart. God looks at why you're making those decisions. Is it going to be you're making it for selfish purposes, or are you making it to further God's purpose and plan for you in this life? The writer of Proverbs also says, the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. There we have it again. The Bible is calling us fools. But the one who walks in wisdom will escape. Escape what? Will escape the judgment and the consequences of making foolhardy decisions without consulting God. Jeremiah says the human mind is more deceitful than anything else. We often don't think about that, do we? It's deceitful, more deceitful than anything else. He said it is incurably bad. Who can understand it? That's the human mind, the human heart. You can't fix it. Galatians says, for the flesh has the desires that are opposed to the spirit. And the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other so that you cannot do what you want. Even when you want to do what you want, you find that you're not doing it. Are we looking to God? Well, there's another caution. We need to confess known sin in order for God's will to be manifested in our lives. And God has some things to say about that too. Notice what he says in Psalm 66. If I harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. Now this, what is interesting is what the psalmist says before this. He says in verse 17 of Psalm 66, I cried out to him for help and praised him with my tongue. I cried out to him for help and praised him with my tongue. And then after that he says, if I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. He got things right between him and God first before he called out to the Lord. 
Psalm 28, 9 says, The one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. You understand that? If we turn away from obeying what the word of God says, you can pray until kingdom comes. Nothing's going to happen. Now you're wondering, oh, now I figure out why I've not been getting answers to all those prayers. Because there perhaps is some unknown sin or some known sin in your heart that you haven't confessed. And your prayer is nothing but an abomination to God. The writer of Proverbs also says, The one who covers his transgressions will not prosper. But whoever confesses them and forsakes them, God offers him mercy. He finds mercy. We need to confess any known sin in our lives. James says, you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. That you may spend it on your passions. We need to confess sin in our, life, in our lives if we want God's will to be manifested. If we want to be able to make right choices, known sin must be confessed. 1 John 1.5 Now this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and, and, not, and keep on walking in darkness... We are lying and we are not practicing the truth, he says. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, what do we have? We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all, not just some sins, all sin. If we say that we do not bear, we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, what happens? He is faithful and righteous. And he does what? Forgive us of our sins and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, what do we do to God? We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. But there's another factor we need to be mindful of. And that is circumstances. When making choices. Or the right choices in our lives. There's only one circumstance. As far as the believer is concerned. And that is God. Are your circumstances suitable? What about doors in your life? Are they opening? Or are they closing for you? What about finances? And we are going through economic birth pangs. At this time. Globally. And so here's a caution when it comes to making right choices with regards to finances and circumstances regarding finances. If not used carefully, credit cards and or credit can be a hindrance to God's freedom. Now notice, it doesn't say your freedom. Can be a hindrance to God's freedom to use finances as an instrument to guide us in our lives. Many people are going through that right now simply because when it came to making choices with regards to finances, they didn't seek God's counsel. But here's another caution. Are the obstacles or problems or trials in your life a trial or a direction? The path of least resistance may not be God's will. And we need to understand that. Difficulties or suffering do not necessarily prove that I am not in the center of God's will any more than material and comfort blessings prove that I am in the center of God's will. 
And many times people use those to determine whether they're in God's will or not. They use abundance of blessings to say that, yeah, I'm in God's will. And they use lack of blessings to say, no, I'm not. Well, Paul was in the center of God's will in all that he did. Notice what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. In other words, as close as I felt that I may have been to death, I trusted in God, because after all, God is the one who raises from the dead. Paul was in the center of God's will when he made that statement. He didn't have any doubts whatsoever as to whether he was doing God's will. In, first, in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about the many times uh, that he was afflicted. And uh, in, in looking at this, we need to understand that Paul was not saying, you know, all this happened because I was not in God's will. All of it happened because he felt that he was in the center of God's will. But there's another factor to consider when making right choices. Not as spiritual counsel. And... Uh, even though we know what the word of God says and we know that God is the one who gives us the kind of counsel that we need, we still fail uh, when it comes to getting the counsel that we need. Proverbs says, a wise man will hear an increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. He also says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man is he who listens to counsel. Plans fail. He says in chapter 15, verse 22, when there is no counsel, but with the abundance of advisors, they're established. Listen to the advice and receive discipline that you may become wise by the end of your life. We need that when it comes to making choices in our lives, especially in the times that we are living in. But here's another caution. Counsel can be wrong. Counsel can be wrong. How many times have you gone to someone for counsel and they gave you bad advice? Been there, done that, right? Job, chapter 2, verse 9. Job's wife gave him some bad advice, didn't she? What did she say? Man, you're so miserable. You're a miserable mess. Why don't you just get it over with? Curse God and die. But then Job's friends also gave some bad advice. After the Lord has spoken these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger is stirred up against you and your two friends because you have not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. You see, you can get bad advice. And the devil has a way of using the scriptures to give people bad advice too. We have a couple of methods of choosing right decisions as we close. One of them is active. Unless otherwise directed, we cautiously move ahead in what honestly appears to be the best direction, consciously trusting God to confirm or to restrain by either opening or shutting doors. This is usually the way we seek a spouse, job, buy a house, buy a car, things we really, really, really want. This is how we go about it. We actively go about it, seeking God's will in this way. We fail to understand that you can't steer a parked car or move a boat that's parked to a dock or tied to a dock. We, we just totally don't think about that. 
The psalmist says, the Lord grants success to anyone, to one whose behavior he finds commendable. Does God find your behavior commendable enough to give you the kind of advice that you need to make the decisions that you need to make? Notice he says, even if he trips, he will not fall headlong. For who holds him? The Lord holds his hands. So we don't have to worry about tripping when we make these mistakes. God's going to be there for you. That's what he's saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Notice this. In all your ways. Not some of your ways like we always do. But in all your ways, he says, acknowledge him. And he'll do what? He'll make your path straight. He will. Because he's perfect. He can be trusted. That's his character. You will hear a word spoken, Isaiah says, behind you, saying, This is the correct way. Walk in it. Whether you are heading to the right or to the left. How many times we make a decision and we say, Boy, you know, one mind told me I should have done this. Wonder who that one mind was. Ever wonder who that, who that one still small voice that told you you should have done that? And it turns out that that would have been the right decision anyway. Ever wonder who that voice was? Well, it was God. He whispers. He stands over our shoulders. He says, go that way. Regardless of what you see, just keep going. But we fail. Acts 16. They went to the region of, Phil of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do this. So they passed through Mysia and went down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul during the night. A Macedonian man was standing there urging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul saw the vision. We attempted immediately to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. God has a way of directing us. God has a way of orchestrating through the things that we encounter in our lives. We just need to be, make sure that we are attentive to his still small voice. But there's another method. That's the active method. There's another method that we use in making decisions. And that is, that is the passive method. Uh, we wait for God to do something special. Too often this is the way we Christians seek to know God's will. Especially... No, it says, especially regarding things we may not desire. This may seem like an easier way to make choices, but it's not always practical or consistent with the way we usually make choices in our daily lives. Sometimes this is the only thing that we can do. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent, is what the scripture counsels us. He will. He is faithful, He is trustworthy. And the psalmist says, rely on the Lord. Be strong and confident. Again, rely on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in what you see. Trust in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait confidently for him. He says, the problem that we have in our world today is we are a bunch of impatient people. The world is moving along at 100 miles an hour. We want to move right along with it. And God says, wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait. God does things in his own time and in his own way. There are some basic questions we need to ask ourselves when confronted with making decisions that are based on God's will and His purpose for our lives. If I choose one cause for my life, would it be one of my selection or would it be God's selection? That's the question we need to ask when we're confronted with making choices. Is this God's choice or is it my choice? 
Do I prefer to know God's plan and purpose for my daily life while I'm still here on earth and I'm able to act upon it? Or would I rather wait until I stand before Christ at the judgment of believers and face the consequences at that time for not following God's choice? Each of us will become aware of his purpose and plan for our lives here on earth in the here and now. God's goals for our lives. We want to reiterate as we leave here today that you be mindful that God has a plan for each of us. And he's not interested in hiding that plan. God's desire for me, this is my response. This is ought to be the response to each of us here today as we determine to make choices in our lives that are going to, that's going to bring honor to God. My desire for God, this is God's goals, for me is to love him and demonstrate by surrender and obedience, to be growing in my understanding of how to please him, and to be letting the Holy Spirit transform me into his likeness. That's God's goal. It ought to be our goal as well. God loves every person in the world and wants me to use, and he wants to use me in his plan to reach unbelievers with the good news of salvation and also bring other believers to maturity in Christ. That's God's goal. Is it your goal in making choices in your life? God's desire is to bless and to use me in the purpose, in his purpose, resulting in me being blessed in the here and now as well as in the hereafter. Is that God's plan for your life? Is that your goal for your life? Is it in line with God's? But there are some prerequisites we need to understand. We need to believe that God has a personal individual plan and purpose for my life. I need to believe that. If I believe that, I'm going to go to God and ask his advice with everything that I need to do. I need to believe that God is sovereign and perfectly able to carry out his plan, his purpose and plan for my life. And he doesn't need my help. He doesn't need me to help him in anything. He's got it down. But it requires a surrendered attitude, which sometimes we struggle with, don't we? A desire to allow God to fulfill his will in my life. To be prayerfully seeking his will for me. An openness to be changed by God. And a willingness to exercise faith. And of course our criteria, our criteria, as we've already mentioned, is the word of God, the peace of God, the circumstances, which is God, and spiritual counsel from the word of God and spiritual believers. What will you do in making choices ere you leave here today, having been exposed to God's word? James says, be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. It is our prayer today that you would not leave here deceiving yourselves, but you would have listened to the message of God, God's word, and act accordingly. May the Lord bless and challenge you as you do just that. Shall we pray? Father in God, we thank you so much for the power of your word. You have placed your word above your name. That's how important it is to you. Help us to realize that it ought to be that important to us as well. And that we ought to come to you in making those decisions in our lives that affect your purpose and plan for our lives. That you might be glorified as it is your purpose for us to exist upon this earth. And that all that we do would be acts of worship. That we may indeed be spiritual sacrifices before you, day in and day out. And that individuals would come to know Christ as a result. 
and believers would be edified as a result. Help us to be mindful, Lord, that your ways are not our ways and your plans are not our plans. Thank you, Father, for what you have accomplished in our hearts today and what you will accomplish as we leave here and put into practice the things that you've spoken to us, not just in a collective manner here today, but individually. Get glory for yourself, we pray. For it is in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.